Welcome to episode 28 of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Lando, Matt, and our producer, Keys. We've got a great show for you guys today. We have the Atlanta Hawks heading to the Eastern Conference Finals, taking on the Milwaukee Bucks after a huge Game 7 win in Philly. We have U.S. Open golf talk. We got NASCAR talk after my first race ever. We got some mailbag questions. We got pouring out, cut them off. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Wait, how'd you enjoy your first race this weekend? Oh, dude, I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. Besides the fact that traffic was awful oh, to and the race. It was freaking terrible. Horrible. Oh, my gosh, dude. It, I honestly did not expect to get into it as much as I did. I know you and you and Chad probably thought I was having a miserable time because my eyes were on fire and it was like yeah, 92 degrees. You look like you're about to have a stroke or something. Yeah, because I got sunscreen in my eyes from that like cheap sunscreen I bought from the little stand outside. Eyes were literally watering the entire race, and my I felt like I was like sunburned. But besides that, dude, like actually, once I figured out like which who which car was who, and and like the whole strategy that kind of goes into NASCAR. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't call myself an expert whatsoever. Uh, and I honestly had no idea what was happening half the time of the race. But once I kind of started figuring stuff out, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Um, only complaints I really had were, A, the traffic was horrible. I mean, so Wit got to the track. Like, he he parked and got to the all the festivities outside like 40 minutes before me. And he wasn't even that far ahead of me in the line. That's how long it took me to actually get and park. And I was pissed. Uh, I was in the car. I was, I was cussing. Now I, I was, I was so livid that it, it took so long for parking. However, I will say leaving the track, it only took me maybe about 40 minutes to an hour to actually leave the track while Wit had the, the tougher time getting out of the track. So I guess it's a little oh, yeah. and take there. Oh, yeah, dude. Coming out of the track was so bad. You got lucky where you worked. I think you actually had like a second entrance yeah. or exit near where you were, where yeah. they made you park. And what sucked, too, is you couldn't decide where you wanted to park. So they kind of just like stuck you somewhere. Yeah. Which the whole system, I mean, I could go on and on for like the next hour and a half about how they could have done a better job with the traffic system. But I think, honestly, the next time they have a race there, it'll be improved because you could tell. They were trying to. There's a lot of things they were trying to work out. Yeah, since definitely. It was and, the first race there in like 40 years. And you know, fans will definitely voice their opinions through surveys and emails. One of the big things was we couldn't bring our own coolers to the track. If you go to NASCAR races, that is like the epitome of what makes a NASCAR event a NASCAR event is you can bring your own cooler and drink your own beer. Beers were, I think, nine dollars. Yeah, nine dollars beer. Domestic beer. So uh, is, uh, that's absurd. Well, why do that when I can bring my own cooler and 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 bring you know a twenty four pack and pound them all, especially with the heat, got to stay hydrated. But other than that, the the race it was a race that I wouldn't have enjoyed if it was on TV, because it was it it was kind of a snooze fest because there was not a whole lot of passing, not a whole lot of action going on. But nah, it wasn't a lot of action. For yeah, sure. the, the the atmosphere was awesome. Forty thousand people. Yes. Oh, it was packed. Elbow to elbow, it was it was it was awesome. It was an awesome experience, and our seats were, were great. We we could see the front stretch, we could see the back stretch, and it, Wit 
definitely got the full experience for his See, first time. I was about I was about to say I really want to do Talladega in Atlanta now, but I feel like besides the fact that I'll get to drink in the stands most likely, be it, like unless we get the same seats or like a similar seats being that close to the track, I don't know if I would enjoy myself as much because it's yeah. like I honestly think I was like spoiled for my first race with how good of seats that Chad got us. You will have a great time at any track, yeah. in any race, honestly. like, And that's what I always try and tell people who are like not NASCAR fans, and they make fun of it. I'm like, man, just go to one race. Go to one race, and I promise you it will change your mind about NASCAR because it's a lot of fun. And honestly, the environment just adds on to it. Yeah, I've yet to go to my first race, but I'll definitely have to try to do that. And I was really jealous of Witt to, to get to go to his but uh, y- y'all have to drag me out to, to somewhere good like Talladega, or if if I have to, I'll go to Atlanta. Oh, you got your yeah. Witt's got his Nashville Speedway shirt on right now. I'm officially a NASCAR fan. I wore American flag boots uh, with a, a little bit open Braves jersey, so I felt like a real true. I wore a camo hat too. I felt like a true NASCAR fan while I was there. Yeah, I definitely don't understand or even I can't fathom how you wore boots out to the track because it was hot, man. I, uh, I'd have been miserable if I would have wore boots out there. Landon, you've had those boots before. You gave me those boots. You know I those gave you those boots, but but I wouldn't have wore them, worn them in, in 95-degree weather, elbow to elbow with, with 40,000 people. There's no way I would have it really was It really wasn't that bad. The jersey was actually a lot hotter than I thought it would be, but luckily it was dry fit, but it was still... I was, I was definitely sweating, that's for sure, but it was still... I mean, I wasn't... I could have been worse. I knew I was hot and dehydrated when I bought those two Michelobes and I pounded them within three minutes. Two tall boy Michelobes and I hammered them. I killed that Bud Light. We were kind of walking in right as they were starting a lot of the pre-race ceremony kind of stuff. And I, I, and I think they wanted me to see everything and I wanted to see everything before the race actually started. Um, so we didn't get any beers or waters or anything when we went up to the stands. I think we kind of... I, I I don't know about you guys. I was I was super thirsty while we were sitting there. Like I was <laughs> yeah. dying for a water. Like I even thought about leaving during the, all the pre stuff to go get like three waters to stick in my bag that I have with like all my merchandise and stuff. But I didn't want to do it because I knew that I'd regret missing like the national anthem and missing them go through all the drivers and everything and getting to see everything on pit row and all that. So I was um. So once we actually got to a place where we could stop, and I think it was the first cautions when we went and got yeah, beers it was, and a couple waters. It was about I felt, I felt a lot better. Yeah, it was about like thirteen laps in, and you know they got spread out, so just decided to why not go out there. And the lines were a lot better too, man. The lines were hor- the concession lines were horrible when we first got there, so we just decided to wait it and get out there and get a little brewski, some water, expensive concession food. It sounds like the pricing was right on point with downtown Nashville. Oh, yes. I will say one of the cool things about the weekend was on Saturday, we went out to Broadway and, you know, enjoyed ourselves at the bars. And the first bar we went to, we go to the second level and I walk past this guy who looks really familiar. And I'm like, man, who the I know this dude from somewhere. So I backpedal and I look, I'm like, holy crap, that is Kyle Larson, the driver of the number five Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. So I, I go to I go to Chad Witt. I'm like, dude, 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 that's that's Kyle Larson. That's Kyle Larson. He's the best driver in NASCAR right now. 
And uh, for about 10 minutes, I was reluctant to say something to him because he looked like he didn't really want to be bothered. It looked like he was, you know, just trying to enjoy his family. And then eventually I, I just I just got the balls to say, hey, man, good luck tomorrow. And he was like, oh, thank you. And kind of a nonchalant, like, uh, you know, I kind of don't want to be bothered. And then he ended up leaving. And the cooler part about it is the guy ends up, you know, dominating the race on Sunday, wins the race. Dominated the race. And Dominated I'm like, man, now, now I wish I would have just bothered him and just got a picture with him because that would have been cool to get a. We definitely should have gotten a picture with him. If I knew who he was when you guys were talking about him, that was the first time I'd ever even heard his name. Yeah. And y'all brought him up. Cause I didn't, cause we didn't go to the race till the next day. No, I had no idea who he was. No yeah. idea. I'd never heard Kyle Larson before. And then, um, they pointed him out and I was like, okay, I guess I'll watch for this guy. And they were like, no, dude, this is like, he's probably the favorite to win. I was like, all right, whatever. Like NASCAR favorite. Like I'm sure like anybody could win a NASCAR race. Like it's, it's just racing, whatever. The next day, if, if I had gone to the race the night before, and then met him at the bars after he won or after I knew who he was. Oh my gosh, I would I would have freaked out a little bit more. Yeah, no, I, I, like like Whit asked us, he was like, "So how good is this guy?" And and Chad and I were like, "Yeah, we're not. We won't be surprised if he dominates the race tomorrow." And and he dominated the race on Sunday. I did not take y'all seriously when y'all said that either. Whit, you're gonna catch a lot of hate from all the NASCAR fans, man. Even I know who Kyle Larson is. Hey, I'm I'm down to take some hate. I mean, I'm. I'm no stranger to to telling everybody I, I didn't really care too much for NASCAR until going to the race. But I'll be honest, I might even watch the race this Sunday just because I now once you know, I mean, I might not be super into it or anything yet. But once you know, at least know who the drivers are and like what teams they race for and all this other stuff, it kind of gets you a little bit more into it. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying. The good thing about the race being a snoozer, and this is from someone who was sitting at home watching it, not there. Uh, was that every time I flipped to it, I knew that Kyle Larson was still in the lead, but it gave me time to get super invested in the U.S. Open, which was absolutely awesome. John Rahm, first Spaniard to ever win, and the the drama that was going on, Louis Ustusen looked like he was finally going to get a win, yeah. and Rahm comes up out of the field, makes a run, birdie, birdie, 17-18 to take go one up. Yeah. Uh, Ustusen bogeys, I think, the 17th, and yeah. then he had to – he had the Eagle 18, Eagle. which was a par five, and it was doable. But then he, his drive went in the rough. So uh, it was the, the U.S. Open was awesome. Did y'all catch any of that? Yeah. Um. So we Wick actually kind of kept up with it while we were at the track, like keeping us updated on scores. And um, when I got back to the truck, you know, parking, you know, it was horrible. So it took an hour to get out. So I listened yeah. to it on the radio, and I heard that Bryson he freaking botched. One of the holes, which which took him out of the lead, he had like a quadruple bogey. Didn't yeah, he? Or it, a, or it a was. Yeah. Bogey. He had a quad. He quadded a hole. Mm. It was hilarious. He and it was like he he had a chance to chip onto the green, and he shot it over the green. It was like one of the best. This is us <laughs> moments. Like, like he was literally on the fringe of the green to chip on, like just a just a little chip, and it almost hits the crowd. It was so oh, bad. My. Oh my god! Yeah, so I heard that happen. I was like, "Oh no way!" Because because he, he was he was in the lead, and then you know, uh, I think Rory was was kind of up there. So I listened to um to what happened to to Louis, and I'm stoked for John Rom because we all know a couple weeks ago he was leading one of the tournaments and tested positive for COVID and had to withdraw. Uh, you know, on on the third day. So good for him to to come back and 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 win a major. Dude, it was it was really cool, and like the the drama was early. 
So uh, Brooks and Brooks and Bryson were like right around that same. They were like two under. Brooks was two under, and Bryson was four under, and then Ustuzan was was five under in the lead. And then uh, Brooks went on a run, or like midway through the round, where he ends up getting to uh, four under. He sank like a a really nice putt to go to four under, and then uh, seventeen and eighteen, he he didn't do well. Uh, so he ended up finishing up, I think two under three under um but bryson at that same time he, he had got himself up to where he was one of the leaders and everyone was kind of watching him to see if he was gonna actually win back-to-back u.s open championships and then next thing you know like he bogeyed a hole and so he kind of started struggling and he went he was one under and then he quadded a hole and he went from being at three under like three holes prior to three over and like way out of contention and no chance of him coming back. And I mean, it couldn't have happened to a better guy. You, you really hate to see it for guys like Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, not this podcast. We love to see it for Bryson DeChambeau. But exactly. I will say though, I was somewhat cheering for him. And because I really wanted to see a Brooks Kepka Bryson DeChambeau playoff uh, to win the U.S. Open. But once I saw that Bryson, uh, quadruple bogey that hole while we were sitting there at the race i knew i was like it's gonna be it's gonna be either louis ustazen or john rom and i'm i'm really glad it was john rom i like louis ustazen he doesn't seem like a bad guy but john rom's been one of the best young golfers for the last like five or six years um i want to say and he just has seemed like the type of guy that really just couldn't get over the hump to win the major and he's finally done it so definitely definitely props to that guy and it was really cool go ahead go ahead matt my bad it, it was it was really cool um, seeing because John Rom finished up like three holes before Louis did, and so he was out on the range. And Phil Mickelson grabbed a chair and yeah. for uh, himself and for his wife, and they were just sitting on the range chit chatting while John Rom was hitting balls, like trying to stay loose in case there was a playoff. And uh, like it, it was really cool because apparently, like Phil said. A few years ago, like John Rahm's got the potential to be number one in the world. He's really talented. He's really good. And then on he goes. And I believe he now is number one in the world. So uh, I, I was happy for John Rahm. Normally, I I pull for Americans in the U.S. Open. It's just cool to see American guys win it. Um, but I was actually I found myself pulling for John Rahm. And the the two birdie putts that he made were outstanding. So. Uh, Kudos to John Rahm. Really glad to see him uh, get a dub in a major tournament. Staying on the topic of great news, how about those Atlanta Hawks? Oh, absolutely, man. That was, you know, I've, I, even with the Hawks doing well, I've had the superstition of I haven't really watched them that much, even in the playoffs. So if I don't watch them, they'll keep winning. And then in the fourth quarter Sunday night, I was like, I'm ready to get hurt again. I'm ready to watch an Atlanta team choke in the in the game seven again and we flipped it on and i watched the entire fourth quarter and man it was it was a lot of fun i'm probably gonna watch a lot more of this buck series just because watching the the highs and the lows of of the hawks going uh the, the the sixers came out hot and they went up like six and i was like well here we go and next thing i know trey hits a three to kind of get everything moving, and then uh, you know, Hawks go up. Ben Simmons looks terrible. Uh, he passed up dunking a ball to to Tobias Harris for him to miss a layup, which was a huge swing in that run for the Hawks. But 
Man, uh, shout out to the Atlanta Hawks going from one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference to and not making being even in conversation for the playoffs to coming in as a five seed under Nate McMillan and and now in the Eastern Conference Finals for I think the second time in franchise history. Yeah, I I knew the Hawks were gonna were gonna win that game because Trey Young was two for thirteen going to halftime, and the Hawks. I think they were the game was either tied or they were up by it was two close. or three points. It, it was it was close. It was close. The game was close. I think, I think, and I think Young, they were down by like two and a half. Yeah, and Trey Young was having a horrible game. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's only one way to go for Trey Young, and that's up. And if he gets even somewhat like on pace of where he usually is, the Hawks are going to win this game. And and they did. And shout out to, to to Kevin Herter. What what a performance to come out there and score 27 points. I think it was. And and be the Hawks' go-to guy in those last seconds of the game. Just just, just an overall great job from from them and and the head coach. No, absolutely. And honestly, I know a lot of people are knocking Trey because he really didn't have his best game, but he still had 21 points. I think he had either nine or ten assists. He really got away from trying to hit those deep threes and trying to knock down shots that he knew he was struggling to make. He just started passing the ball, and he knew that some of the guys that were getting hot, like like Herder and like Capella, and he was starting to feed them the rock instead of trying to take shots himself. Trey Young on the assist for the alley was insane. All night, it was like clockwork. That was the only thing he could do, though. Lando said that, you know, Trey had to step it up in the second half, and he really didn't, but luckily Kevin Herder did, and he was just fire all night. Every time Trey would just kind of lob it up there next to the basket, somebody was always there, and it was clockwork every time. I would love to see more of that in this series. It was phenomenal. It was exciting every time it happened. Oh yeah, it was it that was awesome, and I, I want I want to say that Trey was like two two for seventeen when it was in the fourth quarter because that's when I turned it on and started really watching it, got engaged. I was keeping up with it on my phone a little bit, uh, but I was all focused on the U.S. Open, and then they were saying like two for seventeen, and I was like, man, Trey's not having a great night. But that's one thing that I feel like Trey would was always getting slammed for by the the Luka Doncic lovers was like Trey doesn't make his team better, but. In a lot of ways, he does. Like on a night where he was off, he found the teammates that need that he needed to get them the ball to win the game when it mattered in a game seven for a chance to go to the Eastern Conference Finals. And honestly, I think it's a really winnable series. It's a very interesting and compelling series, at least uh, with the Bucks. The Hawks are going to win in this series in six games. I think the Hawks are a bad matchup for Milwaukee. Brooklyn didn't have their two all-stars. All they had was Kevin Durant. And when Kevin Durant was on fire, you know, the game was still really close. Just imagine if they had James Harden and Kyrie Irving. The Hawks are a full squad. And when they are on fire, they are unstoppable offensively. And that, in my opinion, is what the Bucks are bad against. They they just don't have the type of scorers on their team, on their roster, to keep up with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Giannis is a great player, but if you make him shoot the ball and, and try to keep him away from the basket, he is very one-dimensional. I, honestly, I think the Hawks will have an easier time defending Giannis than they did Joel Embiid, just because Joel Embiid can do things around the basket, and he can also shoot the ball really well. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think that this could be a good matchup for the Hawks, and 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 ideally... Um, you know, I, I do have to give Kevin Durant a shout out because last week what we said was, you know, it's up to Kevin Durant to keep this keep this reasonable. And my man showed out 48 points in that game seven. 
he had the clutch shot, and I thought it was a three initially uh, that that put up put the Nets up one, but it was just a two to tie the game and send it to overtime. And you know, shout out to Kevin Durant, put the team on his back, played all forty eight minutes in Game Six. Like, dude was dude was an animal. And if he would have had Kyrie Irving, and I'll be honest, I, I will say this, and I heard this take on ESPN, and I kind of agree. James Harden gets out of shape because he wants out of out of Houston. He gets traded, and then he has the hamstring issues late in the year. Well, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a, definitely a correlation, but you know, there 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 seems to be something there where you know, if, if in order for you to be a team that wants to win a championship, you got to have everybody bought in. And you can't have guys like Kyrie Irving who, who decide when they want to play and when they want to want to talk about getting people on Mars, and and James Harden who decides when and when he does and doesn't want to be uh, an NBA basketball player. Yeah, wait, I, I I know you want to get in this conversation, but I just want to say this real quick for those people who uh, are calling out Kevin Durant because uh, he didn't, I guess, get it done and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're they're trying to compare him to. When LeBron was in the East and he didn't have, you know, Kevin Love or or Kyrie and he was doing it by himself and he was still getting to the finals and stuff like that. You cannot compare the Eastern Conference from when LeBron was there to to the Eastern Conference that Kevin Durant's going up to right now. Kevin Durant was was dominant. Like he, he was unstoppable from the from the offensive end. He was hitting shots from everywhere. And and there are times when LeBron was in the East. And he he just wouldn't show up, you know. Like people would have to call him out for him just to even come out and 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 have that killer mindset. Kevin Durant always has that killer mindset, and he played in a better Eastern Conference than LeBron did. So props to Kevin Durant. If they would have had a full squad, the Nets would be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Totally agree. Totally agree. I was actually about to say that too. Kevin Durant. I'm still not a huge fan of him for leaving the Thunder and going to the Warriors. I think that was a soft move. Um, as I'm sure some of you guys would agree, and I understand he wanted to go win a finals or whatever, but the Nets, even without those best players, he absolutely held the team together. He did what he had to do. He looked like a superstar. Um, I think to me, I think it's safe to say right now, Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA. Yes. All together. Yes. I, and at the end, I think everybody would agree with me. I think that's a pretty, not too bold of a take. Um, but I do think that Nets team, as Lando kind of said, it was just kind of a selfish team. Like all those guys, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, those are those are guys that they want to get theirs. Like they they care to win and they wanted to win with that team. That's why they all joined up together to form that super team. But they're they're still selfish guys. And I mean you could tell that throughout their careers. Like they're they're they want to put up the numbers, they want to show out and they want to get paid. And Kevin Durant is kind of the same, but Kevin Durant also has like a killer mentality because he really wants to win. He's not all about just putting up numbers. So kind of feel for the guy because I think they could have done a lot better if um, he had some different guys in that team, but um, or if some of those guys could have stayed healthy. But still, man, yeah, props to Durant for having a really good series. And and Whit, to your point, I think that's why Golden State worked because yeah. Steph Steph was not a guy that had to be in the spotlight. Steph never even won the NBA Finals MVP. He was he was okay with Kevin Durant coming in, winning Finals MVP, and and winning championships like that. That that's a mentality that's gone away in professional sports today. It's all about me, but me, me, me. What accolades can I do? I want to be the goat. And a lot of times, championships help build into that status. 
And that's one thing that Steph was willing to do that Kyrie and, and James Harden, I don't think, are. Not even just Steph, but just the whole Golden State Warriors team in general. The reason that they were good in the first place and the reason that they broke the record for most games won in a season before Kevin Durant got there is because that whole team was selfless. And that's honestly why I liked him until until they got Kevin Durant and then they became a super team because that's just the nature of the beast. But but no, I, you're totally right, Matt. I mean, it's when you have a star player like Kevin Durant play with an unselfish team behind him, some some really cool things happen. Those those Golden State years with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, I might catch a little heat for this, but who cares? They remind me a lot of those early two thousands Lakers with Kobe and Shaq. Only only difference is is what we're talking about. The two star players for the Golden State Warriors weren't selfish people. The two star players for the, the early two thousands Lakers were pretty selfish people. So you know it it, it you know it it, it, it kind of works I guess hand in hand. You know the the Lakers won uh, back uh, three straight championships. The Golden Golden State won two in a row, didn't they? They three. won two out of three. Two out of three? Okay. They lost to LeBron that one year whenever Draymond Green got kicked got out. Got suspended. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if it wasn't for uh, the referees suspending Draymond Green, which I thought was horrible, was a horrible call, you know, Golden State would have would have three-peated just like those early 2000s Lakers. So I think they're a good comparison to those to those Lakers. I think that I, that might have been the year before Kevin Durant went there, though. It was before Kevin Durant went there because they want – Kevin Durant was there for three years, and they won two, and then lost to the Raptors his third. Oh year. wait, so yeah. that's right because Kevin he Durant tore his Achilles. He was hurt. Yeah, that's he right. was ah, hurt, and then gotcha, and then Clay gotcha. Thompson also got hurt in that gotcha. series. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so my my basketball knowledge is not that great, so don't rip me online, people. I don't think any of us claim to be NBA experts. No, but I mean, it's all. a the point well, still stands when when you well, have Keys and Lane are wearing Hawks jerseys, so they might as well be NBA experts. <laughs> I'm literally wearing this jersey just because one, it was in Keys's closet, and it looks pretty cool. So that's why I'm wearing this jersey. And you know, go Hawks! I, full disclosure here: I like the Hawks solely because Trey Young. So you can hate me if you want to, Boomer Sooner. <laughs> so y'all been y'all been watching anything in Omaha? My boss literally bought us a cable subscription because he wanted to watch the Tennessee game, and he was very disappointed. No, that, that game today was actually – it was actually really good. Um, the, the energy was awesome because it, everything was on the line. It was an elimination game, and it was the number two and three teams in the country uh, battling it out. And honestly, as someone who is not a Tennessee fan at all, they kind of got screwed in that game. Because there was there was a play in the I want to say it was the fourth inning, and it was a four to four game at the time. Uh, Tennessee or Texas scored a run to make it five four, but they sent another guy home. It was a play of the plate. The guy was tagged out, and it was pretty clear from the replay, in my opinion, that he was out. Uh, the, the, dude, the dude sliding in, his foot was on top of the catcher's foot. He's tagged out. They call him safe anyways. Would that would have been the third out? And then Tennessee scored two that run and then one more. So it was 7-4, and Texas ended up winning 8-4. So uh, I, I think if it's a one-run game in that situation, it's a little bit different. But um, Omaha has been actually really, really good this year so far. I mean, you got uh, the surprising – I guess say somewhat surprising. Arizona gets beat down in two games. They lose to Stanford. They're gone. Uh, then you have Vandy losing to NC State. NC State's two and zero, so that's that's been a really cool story to follow. 
Uh, obviously, I picked Tennessee to win the whole thing, and that's what happened. So, uh, I I was surprised they lost. They went on too. Didn't Jack Leiter? Didn't he throw fifteen strikeouts in that game? Eight innings pitched, two uh, fifteen strikeouts, uh, and all he gave up was one earned run, which was a solo home run in like the fourth inning. But Vandy didn't score anything, so he got the loss. That's insane Zero. to me. Like that is <laughs> what a disgrace to your pitcher. That's a that's a crazy outing. That is a Jacob Degrom move. Oh, oh yeah, it was very it was very Jacob Degrom, and 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 sadly for for Jack Leiter, I mean that that's he's had that kind of luck before. Um, but I mean, he just got outdueled by NC state. So like kudos to NC state for, for shutting down that Vandy lineup. And now Vandy, they've, they've got to play, um, Virginia, I believe. No, Virginia's playing right now against Mississippi state. Um, Vandy's playing Stanford, Stanford. In, Stanford in an elimination yeah. game. Yeah. And, and Stanford, I don't think I talked about them at all last week. Um, honestly, I thought they were going to be the team that went 0-2 out of that side of the bracket. Um, I, I thought Arizona's offense would, would carry them far enough uh, to where they would they would at least win one game on that on their the backs of their offense. But, man, like Omaha has been great. It always is. Uh, the energy has been, been awesome. Mississippi State's on right now. I, I, this is a, 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 on Tuesday night, so – uh, don't kill me if I if I, I I won't have anything to spoil. I think Mississippi State is in a good position though, but I, I really like Virginia um, right now just because they're hot. They they are the NC State of that side of the bracket. Um, they they've got uh, that kid Shope Stephen Shope. Have you seen any of his interviews? No. Do you guys even get on social media? Like, <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, Matt. You really need to uh, start sending us some of the stuff on Instagram so I can keep up. That I really keep up with a lot of stuff through Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I I will. Um, I I would love to see a Virginia NC State uh, championship, but I'll, I'll uh, find Steve, some of Stevens' interviews and send them over. The other day, he talked about caves. Um, it was it was it was pretty wild. They asked if he was afraid of anything or nervous about anything because he's a closer. He comes in and they're like, "Yeah, does it, do you ever get nervous?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I get pretty nervous when I go." Get into caves. They make me pretty nervous because you don't know what's in, in there. Why does he keep walking into caves? Hey, he doesn't. Hey, I, I don't really know what it's about. He's really funny on Twitter. You should give him a follow. Unsolicited shout out. Oh, yeah. I've got to go make sure I pronounce his name yeah, right. No, no free shout outs, man. <laughs> I'll give this guy a free shout out because he's the GOAT of uh, college baseball right now. As far as college baseball interviews go recently, there's always one guy that kind of shows out. Like There's that interview that they'll play for a while like uh 2014 when Ole Miss made it they had the rally ninja there was a guy who just wore a red bandana and had bats on his back that looked like swords and and so he was like the talk of the town North Carolina a few years ago they had guys that had cut out like goggles out of the Gatorade cups and was wearing them and just walking by while a guy was getting interviewed and messing with him and rubbing on his face while he was getting interviewed in the dugout it was just trying to distract him it was funny but yeah that's that's college baseball that's why I love it um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send some stuff over for you guys to look at. Cause, uh, some of this stuff's pretty good. While we're on the topic of baseball, did you guys see all of the, uh, crackdown on, uh, the sticky substances videos with, uh, the Grom and I think Strasburg today, they're all getting pissed off and everybody, the, the umpires have to come check out their arms and stuff. The Grom wasn't having it. Strasburg wasn't having it. I saw it yesterday because uh, the Braves played against the Grom and the Grom was absolutely electric per usual. He's got like 0.5 ERA. 
it's more expensive to buy a pack of gum than than Jacob Degrom's ERA right now, and we're like halfway through the season almost, which is absurd. And his batting. Oh, oh, I mean the dude, the dude is he's a freak in in, in a good way, a freak. Um, I, I I just think, like I said last week, the MLB they went from not caring at all to completely caring instead of slowly levying some type of uh, a rule or having a meeting with like a lot of the major league pitchers and saying, all right, look, we've got to, we've got to find some, uh, some, some common ground here. We can say, all right, this is okay. And this isn't, but it's really hard to police that. And I, I watched a video from Peter Moylan, who he does like the Braves post game and pregame stuff a lot for Valley sports. And he was talking about whenever he came back after being out for a couple of years, um, from baseball that someone showed him the sunscreen and the rosin and it helped him find his curveball just to get that little bit of grip on it, but it didn't increase his spin rate and it didn't increase his velocity. So he was saying that they should be able to do something. They, they need something just so they can control the ball a little bit better because he had no control of his curveball when he didn't have anything. And, you know, I understand that. And I, I really see both sides of it. From the hitter's perspective, from the pitcher perspective, um, honestly, the more that I've heard about it, if I was a pitcher or a, a hitter, I would want the pitcher to have a little bit of grip because I don't want anything flailing at my face. Um, but like the guys that are using the spider tack that are seeing astronomical increases in spin rate on their fastball and on their curveball, those are the guys. Those are the things to be cracked down on. So Matt, you're you're the real baseball guy of our podcast, you're the baseball coach here. Um, what, how how much of a of a difference is the rosin actually making? Is it like actually like a a, a useful tool, or is it kind of just out there? I know we had the um, Trevor Bauer interview where he was just using sweat and rosin to stick the ball to his hands. So it, it seems like it's pretty sticky. So what what is it that's that's making people need to go away from just using the rosin is there is it actually making that big of a difference well see the sweat and the rosin has been has been a has been a a thing for a long time and a lot of old school pitchers use it you'll like pedro martinez the the problem that a lot of the guys have uh and and this is a something that i'm taking from an interview from pedro martinez as well um the problem that a lot of guys have is they go through baseball so many baseballs in a game and like, you know, at the high school level, you rub up some baseball, all your all your game balls before a game, you rub it up, you get them scuffed up. So they have a little bit of grip on them. It's impossible to do that right before a game with, you know, however many baseballs are going through. They're going through like 100 and something baseballs in a game a lot of times um, just because you've got foul balls that are going in the stands and they don't come get those back. In high school, you do. You go get the balls that, are, that go foul. Um, so. The thing that I've heard is that there's a lot of inconsistencies in how baseballs are rubbed up. Uh, it could be rubbed up three days ago by a bat boy. It could be rubbed up pregame before uh, by, by one of the relief pitchers. The rosin is, in my opinion, it's enough. Like you can use sweat and rosin and it works perfectly fine. For whatever reason, and I don't know why, and the only explanation that I can come up with is spin rates. Because I remember seeing guys get kicked out with pine tar on their hats or on their gloves all the time. Uh, there was a Red Sox-Yankees game where Michael Pineda had the pine tar on, on top of his hat, and he kept going to his hat and then the ball. Um, 
the only reason that I can think of is guys are trying to get a competitive advantage. And like Peter Moylan said, the one thing that kind of bothered me about his interview where he was like, oh, it didn't really change my spin rate. But he said in that interview, I couldn't throw my curveball anymore. And having the grip from the rosin and the sunscreen mix gave me my curveball back. To me, it's like if you're one of the best in the world and you're being paid millions of dollars, you shouldn't need anything more than what is provided to you legally to have a curveball. And maybe I'm wrong for thinking that way, but that's just my thoughts on it. Like you're being paid millions of dollars to throw a baseball because you're one of the best in the world and you're saying that you don't have a curveball anymore and you need something sticky to help you have that figure it out. Well, he's probably speaking in terms of, I finally got my curveball back because these hitters are so good nowadays that it's, it's difficult to close to throw certain pitches without a certain spin rate or a certain velocity. I kind of understand where these pitchers are coming from when they're saying that they're some of their pitches are, are being their pitches are being taken away from them because we have to look at the way hitting has gone within the past, say, five years. Hitting has, has skyrocketed. People are hitting more home runs now than they did 10 years ago. People are hitting more more singles, more doubles, more triples. The hitting has just skyrocketed in the past several years, and baseball has done several things to try and slow down the rate at which people are hitting. We see that they changed the ball uh, how the ball is made. We've seen that now they're they're regulating what pitchers use to try to get that competitive advantage. Um, I kind of do feel for some of these pitchers in the sense that hitting is so good that you want to have your stuff at its very best if you want to perform and get out there and make your money. Yeah, and I, and I get that too. I think my problem, um, one of my problems with, with the way that Major League Baseball handled it is they did it mid-season. Like that, that kind of throws everything off. But also, the the other issue that I have with it is that Major League Baseball juices the baseballs last year because they're trying to get more offense in baseball. Because, like we said last week, they want to see home runs. That's that's ultimately what fans show up for. So they try to add more home runs by juicing the baseballs, and then they say, "No, we didn't juice the baseballs." Two years ago, the playoffs was a perfect example. There were like less home runs per at bat in the playoffs that year than they're like by double the amount that there were in the regular season. It was something crazy. So major league baseball is changing the balls on the pitchers and then they're changing what they can and can't use. And I think that that's where I am on the pitcher side with these things is it's like, look, you, you can't change things mid year. And, and I'm with the pitchers in that regard, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, I think that, it's an overreaction on both sides. It's like pitchers versus Major League Baseball, which is not good because there's a CBA coming up, and I'm sure the players' union is going to have something to say about it. Have you seen? Have you seen Scherzer's reaction that he had today? Like, not even probably like maybe like probably while we've been recording this podcast. I have not seen that. I've, I I was at baseball practice myself. They checked him twice already. They checked him at the beginning of the game, and then they checked him again in the fourth inning. And in the fourth inning, he literally threw his hat. And then just pulled his belt off his pants and just like put his hands up in the air. Good for Scherzer because it, this is it, it, this is going to get ridiculous. And honestly, like I said last week, Major League Baseball is viewership is not doing well. Um, and, and it seemed to be doing pretty good at the beginning of this year. But this is why people don't care about baseball. It's irrelevant in the months of June and July 
a lot of times because it's overshadowed by the NBA and NHL playoffs. And then MLB comes out with stupid regulations mid-year, like, hey, come out with a thing. If you get caught with spider attack, if you get caught with this, you know, you're going to get uh, suspended. But right now I'm pretty sure if you were to get caught with an illegal substance, uh, that you get suspended for 10 days with pay. So, like, what – you just missed two starts? Like, is that is that it? I don't know. I, I am I, – I disagree with – this whole situation has just been awful. And and I, I, I feel weird because there's some players that I agree with and then there's some that I think are a little drastic about it. Like, you know, I understand how Tyler Glass now may have changed his release because of not having sticky stuff, but – I don't know, man. And him claiming that he got hurt from not having it seems a bit drastic. I I just – it's a bad look for baseball, and this is why people don't care about it, quite frankly. Hey, we all know Robert Manfred sucks. He's the worst commissioner in sports for sure. Uh, We're going to go ahead and move on. We'll get into our mailbag questions. Our first question is from our buddy Nathan, and his question is, what are the biggest question marks for Oklahoma, Alabama, and University of Georgia? Biggest question mark for Oklahoma this year will be living up to the pressure that we set for ourselves last year. We had a really good end of the season last year, and people are expecting Oklahoma to be one of the top teams in the country and compete for a national championship. So that's going to be the biggest question mark is can they live up to the hype? I think the biggest question mark for Alabama, I actually don't think it's even Bryce Young. I mean, obviously, he's got big shoes to fill uh, with Mac Jones leaving after setting so many records and, and, and all of that. But to me, the biggest question mark for Alabama is going to be, you know, the, the wide receiver core. Is there going to be a guy that steps up? Uh, you, you lost the Heisman Trophy winner and uh, another first round receiver in the draft. Is there going to be a guy? outside of John Mechie that, that makes a name for himself uh, this year, one. And two, what is the defense going to look like? Because, uh, you know, losing a first-round cornerback, Malachi Moore's returning. Uh, but but to me, the two biggest question marks on Alabama are receiving core and what that looks like, uh, the running backs in the post-Najee Harris era, and then the, what's the defense going to look like? Uh, Christian Barmore's gone. Dylan Moses is gone. Patrick Sertan's gone. You know, there's a good young group there, but somehow they're going to have to expand on that uh, and 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 do something with it. So I'm I'm excited to see what comes out of it, though. Yeah, I think the biggest question mark for Georgia position wise is probably going to be the defensive back position, just because we lost so many guys in the draft this year. Um, I think three deep, three or four deep, we lost. Um, we had. Even our yeah, our fourth string corner even transferred to Miami. So it's gonna be a completely new secondary besides a couple of those safeties. But um, you know, Kirby Smart's a good coach. I think they might be able to do well there. But I honestly think the biggest question mark for the entire team for this season is can Kirby Smart with a good offense, a talented offense, a good offensive coordinator, and a talented defense, probably the best talented wise, probably the best he's been on both sides of the ball since he's been here. Can he finally get over the Nick Saban hurdle and beat Alabama? Because Georgia is not going to win a national championship. It's just not possible going through Alabama unless they decide to go ahead and make a 12-team playoff this year and somehow Alabama gets knocked out first or second round, which I 
highly doubt would happen anyway. So I'd say that's probably Georgia's biggest question mark. But we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. This one's from our buddy Chad. He wants to know what college football coach doesn't get the credit he deserves. I don't like this question because there are a lot of college football coaches that you can make a case for they don't get the credit that they deserve because college football coaches have to do a lot of things just to even be competitive in their respective conferences or divisions. So I, I'm not going to you know, single out one single college football coach because, to be honest with you, I don't really know. I think a lot of coaches deserve a lot of credit for the work that they do just to even take the talent that they're able to recruit and and win those couple games they're expected to win. So that's my answer. I actually think Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern doesn't get enough credit for, for what he does in and out because it, if you look at Northwestern as an academic school, it's it's their expectations are really high. That's, you know, one of the top, probably top 30 schools in the country. Uh, academically, it's, you know, really highly regarded. To have that type of pressure, there that limits the type of kids you can recruit. And Northwestern is consistently competitive in the Big Ten. Like, they're probably not ever going to be the Ohio State or Michigan where they're a powerhouse uh, athletically on the football field. But what they do did last year I thought was extremely impressive. And, and they had a really good shot at Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. And, uh, you know, they, they play great defense. I think Pat Fitzgerald is one of those guys that never gets the credit that he deserves completely. Yeah, see, I think another guy like that is actually Brian Kelly from Notre Dame. I know he hasn't won a national championship. He's only played for one, and obviously he has not been able to compete with the Alabamas or the top teams, the Clemsons of of the college football world right now. Um, and he just can't recruit on that same level, which is crazy because Notre Dame has such a such a storied history. But he's done a really good job. I mean, people knock his schedule all the time, but he's constantly scheduling good games for them to play in, even if sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Um, he's constantly having 10-game, 11-game, 12-game seasons. Um, it's very rare for – Notre Dame to be under nine wins a year. Um, and I think he's done a really good job uh, with some high expectations to keep Notre Dame relevant. So I'll, I'll say him, even though I think it could go either way. All right, we'll go ahead and move on to our last question. This one is also from Chad, and it's a baseball question. He wants to know, is Freddie Freeman a Hall of Famer? What do you think? Probably his second time being on the ballot, yes. but Because we all know how the stupid baseball hall of fame thing works so yeah on the second time being on the ballot if his career ended right now no i'll say i think that you know with the career progression that he's had he he has a really good shot at being a hall of famer freddie freeman right now is at a 39 career war um so just for you baseball folks war is wins or excuse me non-baseball folks War is a stat of how they calculate wins above replacement. So if you put uh, somebody else in place of Freddie Freeman, uh, how would Freddie Freeman or how does Freddie Freeman affect the Braves? And on his career, they say that Freddie Freeman is worth 39 wins in a season. He brings 39 wins to a team in a season on a career. A Hall of Fame career is typically at least 50. Um, normally, it's that it's 60 or higher. Right now, Freddie's at a 39. Uh, obviously, he could if he continues at the rate that he was last year, that'll shoot up and he'll he'll get there. Uh, to me, Freddie Freeman is a guy that 
he will be in the Braves Hall of Fame, absolutely, uh, especially if he, he stays after this year. Um, and then he right now he's on the fringe of, a, of being a Hall of Famer. But what it's going to take for Freddie is for him to continue hitting at a high rate, uh, home runs and batting average. And, um, you know, it always helps to win a World Series. But he's only a four-time All-Star, and then he's got the MVP to his name. Uh, All-Star game appearances are kind of stupid in baseball because popularity contest. But he'll he'll increase that moving forward. And I, I think if he continues on the rate that he's at, uh, he will be a Hall of Famer. But if his career ended now, no. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer yet, but I think he has a really good chance to end his career as a Hall of Famer. Um, obviously, for the Braves, I would say he's one of the best players in franchise history. Definitely not the best, but I'd say he's probably up there. Um, I couldn't name. I don't think I can name ten players that are better in Braves history than he's been for us. So, but yeah, I'd say end of his career for sure. Freddie Freeman will be a Hall of Famer. And I'm going to use this spot now to say that Andrew Jones absolutely should be a Hall of Famer because of the defensive prowess that he brought to center field in his era. And he was one of the most dominant hitting center fielders at the time, too. So Andrew Jones for Hall of Fame, he, he should be in Cooperstown, absolutely. Uh, and that's that. For reference uh, for Freddie Freeman, uh, Chipper Jones had a war of 85.3, which is actually kind of insane. And and that and that's what I'm saying. Like Hall of Fame guys are they stand out like and, and Chipper's an exception. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There was a, he was a no doubter. Guys like him and Jeter, they're just built different. Uh Freddie Freeman is right now he's in the Hall of Very Good, but not necessarily the Hall of Fame. I think he very well could be a Hall of Famer if he continues at the rate that he's going at. He's also what, thirty one? Yeah. Thirty two. That's why I said, you know, second probably third time being on the ballot but definitely not first yep i totally agree we'll go ahead and get into our pour one out cut them off segment lando who you pour one out for well talked about it earlier uh about the nascar race this weekend so i'm gonna for right now i understand it's the first time being you know nascar being back in nashville and in, in a long time so there's some growing pains but for today i'm gonna cut you off nashville super speedway one for the traffic Two for not being able to bring my own beer, because that sucks. I'm going to pour one out for the city of Nashville for embracing NASCAR as they did. I mean, there was sponsorships everywhere, you know, people showed out for the race, and it's always a good time in Nashville. So, pour one out for Nashville, Matt. So, this week, I'm pouring one out for Devin Booker, who, for a young guy in the NBA, he is an absolute stud. I think he dropped 40 last night uh, in game one against the Clippers. The Suns won. Uh, unless the Clippers get Kawhi back, man, they, they ain't stopping. They ain't stopping the Suns at all. Uh, they might get swept. Suns and four guys going to be happy because Devin Booker, uh, and I heard this today, Magic Johnson uh, says that he thinks that Devin Booker is the next Kobe Bryant. And nope. he does got that. Magic didn't say that. Stephen A. Smith said that. Magic agreed. <laughs> no, but the, the, the words came from Stephen A. Smith's mouth. Those exact words. Okay. okay, okay. That's my bad. That's my bad. That's fake news on Matt Howell's part. Uh, <laughs> Stephen A. Smith says that that uh, Kobe Bryant, that Devin Booker is the next Kobe Bryant. And and I I, I mean, He's got that assassin in him. 
Uh, and Kobe was his mentor. So, you know, it would be in a lot of ways, it'd be really cool to see the Phoenix Suns go on a run like that. Uh, so I'm pouring one out for Devin Booker just because he, he's had an insane playoff run. And I'd love to see him. If they're not playing the Hawks, I'd love to see the Suns win it all. And Devin Booker get an NBA championship. And Chris Paul get an NBA championship. Uh, and then I am cutting off super teams because the Nets lost and we all love it. You know, what happens when you bring a bunch of superstars together is never uh, – they're never a guarantee of winning a championship. And you saw that with the Heat the first time. They went 2-2 two and two in finals appearances. Uh, and then now the Brooklyn Nets, they're 0-1 in the playoffs. They didn't even make the finals this year. Uh, but shout-out to Kevin Durant for putting on uh, a show. Uh, but no, no Kyrie and James Harden being hurt. Uh, and the Nets are gone, and I love that. So, super teams, you're getting cut off. Wit. Well, guys, here we are. It's been 28 episodes, and this will be the first time ever I will be pouring one out for a NASCAR Cup driver. I'm pouring one out for Kyle freaking Larson, our new drinking buddy after Saturday night. That dude has won the last four NASCAR races, including the All-Star race. And in the one that he lost, he got second which was the one before the streak he went on to chase Elliott. And he has been an absolute beast. He is dominating the cup series right now. Um, I mean, he's, he's an absolute monster. He, he won this race in Nashville by a wide, wide margin. Even the entire time I was sitting next to Orlando. And even when he would get past, he was like, watch, give it, give it two laps. He'll be back in first place every single time within two or three laps back in first place. Easy. Um, so definitely pour it out for Carl, uh, Kyle Larson. It was nice to meet you this weekend. And I'm going to be cutting off the city of Philadelphia. Those fans are absolutely terrible. Good for them for being loyal to their team. But man, the F Trey Young chants coming from the stands, the, the spitting going on in the crowd. I mean, what a, what a just terrible fan base throughout this entire series and dad, definitely cutting them off, man. You guys, you guys gotta be a little bit more classier. Keys, what about you? All right, so this week I am going to pour one out for Kevin Herter. Really saved the Hawks there in that last game. It wasn't that he necessarily had you know an amazing outing. Uh, he had twenty seven points, you know, seven rebounds, three assists. But it was exactly what the Hawks needed to make up for Trey Young really being off last game. So congratulations, Kevin Herter, for really stepping up and Atlanta's behind you. Hopefully, he can continue to. Uh, step up along with Trey Young and uh, take on the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm going to cut off Ben Simmons on the opposite side of the ball there. Ben Simmons cannot shoot, and he absolutely melted at the foul line this year. His free throw percentage was only 34% in the 2020-21 series. And you have to question his future in Philadelphia at this point. There was actually a statement from Stephen A. Smith today leaking a text message from someone close to the situation in Philly saying that his work ethic is bad, he doesn't listen, and he's just babied too much in the organization. And it seems like Philly, for some reason, is really catering to him for no reason at all. He's not producing. And at this point, in my opinion, I think he's going to start phasing out of the league. Uh, I could see Philadelphia maybe trying to trade him if they could get something for him. But... We'll see what happens there. He's cut off for me. 
Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening as always. We appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can. And don't forget to check out our merch store at AroundTheKeg.com where you can pick up an ATK shirt, hoodie, tumbler, or any one of our other items. Y'all have a good week. See y'all.